Welcome to Dream Makers, candid conversations with women that will change the way that you see success, purpose, and what it takes to bridge the two. I'm Neha Sampat, a three-time tech founder and CEO with a focus on companies that are places to dream big, build up, and be a good human. I'm CEO of Content Stack and also a certified sommelier. So yes, we drink wine here. I'm joined by Nat Gross, managing partner of EPAM, a digital product and platform engineering company headquartered in Philadelphia. She's recognized as one of the most influential digital professionals in all of the United Kingdom. Today, we're going to talk about the evolution of the digital industry, navigating her career, and thinking laterally versus deep. Let's get started. Hi, Nat. Hey, lovely to meet you. Lovely to be here, Neha. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm so excited that you're here. I've heard so many great things about you from colleagues of mine and just in the industry in general. So it's really a pleasure to have you on DreamMakers. I know that you've spent the last 20 years growing and running digital agencies. If you had to boil it down, what do you see as one of the biggest changes in the industry over that time? Well, it's a privilege to be able to talk about this because maybe I've been a bit liberal with my 20 years because when I really started in the industry, there actually really wasn't one. We were really on the precipice of change of moving out of a more multimedia world into the internet and and obviously everything that, that that's come after it. So I've obviously had the privilege of being on that journey and seeing those various intersections of realisation from across government and, and education and business around actually the impact that digital technologies and, and the internet was going to have on on their respective sort of areas. And, and I think that's probably one of the biggest changes that we've seen, even inside our industry, sort of the older marketing agencies actually outsourcing their digital creativity to companies like mine back in the day, right through to sort of like the emergence of commerce and how that's grown. And I'd probably say, you know, since 2012, with where we've gone on mobile and social and what have you, that sort of rapid change. And obviously the last 18 months has been phenomenal in terms of adoption, but the wake up and the realization of change across those different sort of like aspects of society has been really fantastic to to be a part of sometimes frustrating when you're sort of like trying to <laughs> trying to move things along at a pace that maybe people aren't quite ready for but um I think that obviously being part of the change from the beginning and, and seeing how people adopt when they adopt which industries adopt and how it's impacted on social movements etc cetera, etc cetera, has been has, has been a phenomenal it's really cool to have that kind of impact on the industry. And I empathize with your frustration having run a digital agency of my own before, before content stack, actually content stack spun out of a digital agency that I ran. And it was, if you go back 15 years, pre-cloud, pre-mobile, as you mentioned, and everything was really just about data and figuring out the right technologies and figuring out how do you leverage cloud? Do you leverage cloud? Is it safe? And things have evolved so much. And you talk about that. You talk about merging of data and digital and technology, but also the importance of creative, and especially in today's world when, you know, there's personalization and everything's driven by commerce and buying behavior has changed. Can you expand on, on how important or influential creativity is in the mix? Yeah, I mean, it's everything. And I mean, when I started sort of in, in this industry, it was from a sort of a creative and a technology perspective. I've never had 
any separation between the way that I think about creativity and technology. It's always been a very fused way of looking at the world. And I had the privilege of working with an amazing team uh, of creative technologists when I first joined the industry. So I've never had a separation and so when I see it, I can understand the frustration on a creative or marketing side and, and indeed the frustration on technology side. But of course, there's no application of technology without creativity because there's no storytelling. There's no business concept. There's no idea. There's no audience to connect to. So you can't have one without the other. And I think what's very, very interesting at the moment is as we see some of the barriers to creativity come down because of products like your own hit the market, then you actually see some of the challenges that we face as organizations and even as, you know, as people in actually using and being creative. So it's a very, very interesting time as we see some of those barriers start to sort of like fall away. Absolutely. It's like the burden has shifted away from the technology and onto the the creative mindsets of the people that are actually building out the experiences. And that has put a new pressure on people to exercise a muscle that might've just been left behind because there is so much frustration on the technology side. So it's, it's actually really cool and fun to see what digital experiences come to life as a matter of people just being able to dream bigger and, and build faster. It's been really fun to watch. Yeah. I would love to move on to tasting the wine before we jump deeper into this conversation. So we have a bottle that both Nat and I have in front of us. Nat's in the UK. I'm in Austin, Texas, but I've added a wine bar from the UK in the background. This is Gordon's Pub in London. So what we have today is a Clos Midet. It's really a pretty bottle. It's kind of hard to see with the Zoom background, but it's a really interesting shaped bottle will double as a flower vase for us. And this is a Blanc de Blanc, which basically means that it's made up of white wine grapes and white varietal. It's mostly Semillon, a wine varietal, a grape varietal that's typically used in the Bordeaux region, but this is actually from Provence. So it's an interesting one. This terroir is actually close to the shore facing the Mediterranean. There's no limestone. So you get a lot of just really crisp acidity Great notes that are citrusy, lemon, lime. If you think about kind of some of the fruits that come across, we're getting a little bit of pear, maybe a little bit of apricot. And it's also aged in large oak casks. So you also get a little bit of that vanilla or honey on the palate. So let's give it a try. And it's a beautiful color. It's like a golden yellow with a little bit of a green tint. It's really nice. It's just like refreshing and super fresh. A little bit of floral now that it's warmed up a little in the glass. Yeah, that really is lovely. That sort of like burst and then it's just dissolved. What I love about being able to taste these wines is it's something special that we can share being that we can't be together in person. And it's something that I started in the pandemic, but I I just love that we can share an experience, even though we are not physically co-located and kind of neat to have that. It is. It really is. When the bottle arrived, I put it on the side and my partner was like, wow, is this for me? Because we actually had the rosé version when we were down in the south of France. The last holiday we had actually before lockdown, so took us back to uh, slightly distant shores uh, when it arrived. So I've been I've been uh, keeping it locked in the fridge, trying to keep it away. Oh, good. Well, hopefully you'll be able to share after we're done here. Okay, well, let's jump back in. So let's talk a little bit about just your journey. And if we go back a little bit, you had started at Amaze as head of sales and marketing and eventually became CEO there. 
Mm -hmm. And, and it was a period of immense growth and, and fulfillment, but it wasn't without challenges as, as all of these experiences are. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you went through? And I know at some point you were looking for a buyer, so maybe just a little bit about that whole journey. Yeah. I mean, I think again, fantastic opportunity to be part of the company at the very beginning of, of, of the industry and, and, and working with amazing brands. I think that as with many companies at that time, it was a period of huge growth, huge VC injections into agencies like ours, and maybe eye off the ball of some good business practice. And so at a certain point in time, the board at the time sort of ran the business into difficult waters really and um ultimately ended that that you know the company may well go out of business so at that time I was on the management team not on the board and sort of like got recruited in just to try and help a couple of us wanted to try and sort of save the company crusading but wanted to try and sort of go okay it's in pre it's going to go to prepack it's going to go you know potentially into administration can we do something to find a buyer it's a great business great clients it's just had its eye off the ball in some of the areas that it shouldn't have done and so we worked very hard and sort of put ourselves out on a limb outside of I guess the formal process of what was happening to try and really find, you know, we believed in the business and we wanted it to succeed, to find a buyer. And that's what we went and did. And we had some very sort of like cloak and dagger and whatever conversations <laughs> and, and what have you on the way. It was quite a, a, a crazy time. But I think the important thing was, you know, we found some buyers and we had a sort of a 48 hour period where it was like it, what the deal wasn't done, but we had to, um, keep everybody working because obviously, you know, if you're a people company, if you've got no people, then there's nothing to buy. So we, we had to explain to the company what was going on, ask people to be patient, turn up and be committed to trying to go on the journey with us. And yeah, out of about 300 people, one walked off site that day and he came back the next day and not one person left until we, we, we got the news that we'd got the buyer that we, we wanted. And that was the time when I took over the CEO role and, and and started to lead the business in a, I'm pleased to say, a, a profitable and healthy and, and culturally rich direction over that sort of like next X number of years with, with a, an amazing team of people who, and you'll know this, are very, very special in your heart. That's an amazing transformation and a testament to your leadership for sure. A part of how you attracted a buyer is building sort of the agency of the future and painting that vision. Can you talk a little bit about that vision? How did you get that hooked? I think it's very important to always have that clarity of vision and purpose and to then work out how you want to build teams and services and uh, and, and get your go-to-market right around that. And I think that one of the things that, that that's always been very, very clear is to see a number of years probably ahead of the market in terms of where commerce is going in terms of where even things like e-learning is going and what have you is to to be able to really start to stand up services and see where and take bets on you know what's going to take off and sometimes a little bit earlier but always very very rich in sort of having that that strength of vision you know our vision for the company that I was CEO of for such a long time was around original thinking through that sort of like that fusion of, of creativity and technology and being true to that. And we work for brands that were highly complex and high consideration purchases and where global local was was a big part of the brand. So having those key tenants that you can build around, keep building around. And I think sometimes we're too quick to jump 
from one vision to another or from one mm-hmm. set of focus to another. But I think there's a lot to be said for having a very consistent way of thinking and behaving. And then as time went on and as the industry evolved and a, a lot more sort of, you know, the big consultancies, the big SIs, the, you know, and the big marketing agencies came to play in digital, then I think the industry and how talent could be nurtured and grown and how entrepreneurs were sort of like able to look after themselves and what they'd invested in changed as well. So I sort of like started to do a lot more around talent and how you can build agencies whilst retaining great freedom and opportunity for individuals' goals, as well as their input into your company. I love the aspect of talent and it's everything, especially in a services company. And it's what makes a services company magical is having good talent and then figuring out how to keep them happy and retained and and growing them over time. I am curious. Okay. So we talked about a maze and then now you're at EPAM and there's sort of a path there. And we've at content stack had the great fortune of working with EPAM, but can you just talk about the path to EPAM? And then I want to dig a little deeper into just talent development as well. Sure. So yeah, so I left Amaze wanting to explore really setting up an agency that was more around a network and an ecosystem rather than necessarily having to own everything, which was what I felt was going on at the time. And so that was sort of in the back of my head and my philosophy. During that time, I also started working close, much more closely with Bima. And as a result of that, got to know Tarek very well, who became my partner and president at Bima, which is an industry organization for digital professionals in Britain. And he was also the, the founder of an agency. And he asked me to come and co-run and really lead its development. So I sort of like thought long and hard and went to do that. And that's how I think maybe 18 months later, we engaged with EPAM and, and went through a process of selling the agency to, to EPAM. Amazing. So you mentioned Abima and you've also talked about just building and developing talent at EPAM. Let's talk about both of those and, and kind of how they play hand in hand and how you work to build talent and broaden skills and building networks and how that all plays into it. Yeah, so I think I think I'm I'm a really big believer in just basically understanding people and helping find opportunities for them and not wanting to necessarily do everything with me and through me. So I think what what I loved about Beamer is that we set out a vision we created a set of councils we created like 20 councils that might have been like Scotland because Scotland is excluded from London sometimes or Manchester we we created a diversity and inclusivity council and AI for and, and, and immersive tech, et cetera, et cetera. And we put in like chairs of those councils and for them to, to build their own teams and for it to grow. And, and, it, and it was brilliant to see and evolve this network of opportunity for talent, some of which is emerging, some of which is very established, mm-hmm. to find their place, their platform, a place to feel rewarded, place to feel celebrated, but a place to really tackle some of the challenges and the opportunities that we have in industry to move it forward. And I think it's a really nice example of providing a platform for, for us as an industry collectively, but also for individuals to take something from that, to participate and take back. And I think that reciprocity of I give, I contribute, but I also get something back is really, really important for all of us, as well as, you know, in in, in your own team, just giving, you know, I, I think sometimes, and you'll know this, sometimes you do things so naturally that you don't really think about actually what was that, you know, and then But connecting people to opportunities, you know, and and finding the stories and going, hey, that person to that person, 
as well as more classic mentoring and, and, and training, what have you, I think use the tools at your disposal. But I, I guess I tend to sort of work pretty organically uh, in the way that I just think and connect things together. But I think most importantly for me is create the platforms, create the communities, create the opportunities for people to really shine and also have the confidence to shine. It's such a beautiful thing when it happens organically, but not everybody thinks that way. And it's probably ingrained in you in the way that you are, which is remarkable in and of itself. But I like to think about, especially we're in a tech world and we're always trying to bring more women along in the journey with us. And being a role model and creating that relatability for someone who might be earlier in their career and then extending the ladder down the way that you do, I think is just a testament to not just your leadership, but just industry-wide making an impact. And I think that that's something that's worth noting. And also just the, the time that you've put into doing that, even if it's happening organically, is making an impact. So thank you for being that way, whether you've recognized it or not. And I think BEMA also is just an incredible organization. And you spent a lot of time um, as a leader, as a part of that organization as well, which made an impact. So very interesting part of the journey and such an important part of building agencies that matter and building up talent that can then grow into even more. So when we were prepping for this, we talked to a few folks and the common theme was she just does a lot. She's involved in so many things. And the question was, how does she do it all? And, you know, besides EPAM and BEMA and, and tell us a little bit also about the World Wildlife Fund, your fellow there. Tell us what drives you to do those things and how do you do it all? How do you answer that question? Interesting. I think I think you need to find things that you you enjoy and to I guess find things for me. I'm I'm a very lateral person. I like to find stories and connections and and and, and think probably quite laterally and broad in who I am. You know, I I don't I don't sit and I'm sort of like even though I'm interested in things like UX or what have you, I'm not like a deep UX or I'm not a deep you know marketing researcher or what have you. That isn't that isn't in my DNA and, and the way that I make myself up. And I think that recognizing that and being also comfortable with that is really good for me. Is to sort of go. I really like breadth and depth because I like to curate, tell stories, find connections. And that's what I think drives me a little bit. That's why I can do different things. I love to do different things. You know, it's fascinating. And sometimes you don't know the connection and that red thread, but it's always there because you know, if you give your energy to something, you know what it's like, you'll have like 20 things on, 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 on offer for you. And some of them you'll take on and you'll maybe give a little bit and some you'll give a lot. And, and I think that, you know, when you're given a lot, that there's a thread and, and, and there's a sort of like a little light that should go on to go <laughs> actually, yeah, keep pursuing that and doing that. And, you know, that was WWF was like, it was an amazing opportunity for me personally to stretch myself and move myself into, I was a trustee before I was a fellow and I did six years as a trustee and sort of like, that's where I learned a lot about corporate governance and being on those types of boards. And and, and actually um, that was brilliant for me. It was hard for me. It was intimidating for me. It wasn't my background. I was different from everybody else that was on that board, but it was fantastic. Um, but I did it partly because of that, but also because the opportunity to tell the world about the World Wildlife Fund is just huge. And it's like one of the most amazing brands that just like touches you and sort of everything about it is something that I'm so passionate about and believe in. So it was a privilege to be able to give time to learn, to hopefully give back and to work, you know, to work on that. And, you know, we're just about fingers crossed to do something with them, with with, uh, BEMA and 
and EPAM. So it's sort of like the, these little connections come around. That's really interesting because I, I was working on in my head figuring out what the thread is between all of those and it outside of your passion. I mean, obviously you're passionate about about the cause, but also about all the things that you do that are digital. And you did find the common thread in bringing a digital way of telling the story to WWF. You've mentioned that you have a recommendation and that is to ask for help. Tell us a little bit about how and and why is that a recommendation that you have? To ask for help. I mean, I think it's it's a funny one because I'm probably the worst person. Like I ask myself for help a lot, which probably means that I waste loads of time before I should probably just ask someone else and then um, to, to shortcut. And I think that that's really important. I think recognizing, and this is a very big part of sort of the way that I am, is like, I, I I will very quickly sort of recognize someone's a lot better than me at something and bring them in and and and, and do something. And I think that in a way that's asking for help is sort of going, you know, I, I I'm gonna bring in other people, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make that work. And I think sometimes we can sort of like bury our heads and I think women do that a lot more than others, a lot more than men do. We we bury our heads or maybe just get our head down instead of looking up and sort of recognizing the people around us that we can ask for help. And I think asking for help moves you on. That's what's so critical. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's actually a superpower when you figure out how to ask for help. And and that could just be surrounding yourself with people who know things that you don't know as well and being able to lean on them. And I know that for me, that's been an important part of how I've been able to continue to be on this journey because I'm surrounded by people that are super smart and that are helping me along the way and that have seen the movie before and pulling me along, right? And that, I think that's an important thing for younger and earlier stage entrepreneurs and people in their careers should should just think about. You've obviously seen a lot of differences between how men and women approach their careers, and you kind of alluded to it. Do you have any advice for young women who want to project confidence, develop leadership qualities, and just kind of move further along in their careers? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, one piece of advice is to seek lots of advice, because many of us will say different things. I think that that's a really important thing. I really do uh, encourage and I do in, in with all of mem- my mentors is is make sure that people are putting themselves out into uh, non-executive boards or into communities as early as possible in their careers to really push themselves into you know we talk about uncomfortable environments but it's not even just that I mean obviously that's really important because you know we talk about it so it becomes a cliche, but it's not a cliche because it's really bloody real and and you know it it's sort of like it does move you on but it's important to keep adding strings to your bow. And I do think that mm-hmm. men network more naturally. I've seen it when I've been on remuneration committees, when we're hiring, you know, trustees, you see a certain behavior in men and a certain behavior in women and, and, and it's marked difference. And a big part of that is, you know, a belief in it. If you work hard, you progress and that's not necessarily true. And so being able to be broad, to have your networks, your communities, I think incredibly important to knowing who you are, what makes you comfortable, what makes you confident and what can move you on. And, 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 you know, and, and, and the same with leadership is like, if you know who you are, you know, people might really not like who I am as a leader, might not like who you are as a leader, but they'll know who you are. And I think that that's really important. So, you know, knowing, being comfortable and knowing how to project that and knowing actually what's important because leadership means somebody else is going to believe what you believe. So, you know, make sure you do really believe it and uh, that your that your platform that you're sort of like leading on is, is very real, genuine and, and true to who you are. 
That's really good advice. And I, I think it's that conviction that sometimes is missing in not just women, women and men that are earlier in their careers. And like you said, that don't have just as much experience. And one of the common threads with, with women is this concept of imposter syndrome. And it's, you know, we're kind of always like trying to put ourselves out there and men don't have that as quite as much. And a lot of that is about projecting confidence and just being able to put yourself in difficult positions and getting through it. And just like, I always say, just showing up, show up, give it your best. And when you're at the end of that and the other side of it, you'll know more than you did when you started. And that's always kind of another feather in your cap. So it really is. And that's why I still do it. When you're talking, I'm like, I'm in this boardroom because someone invited me in here. I didn't invite myself. So it's okay. If you're presenting, you're like, oh my God, no one's listening. You know, (laughs) you know, it's like somebody asked you to be there. So be happy. Absolutely. So we, we call this podcast dream makers. I'm curious, do you consider yourself a dream maker? Yeah. Why not? Because I think that, you know, in the context that you use it about giving opportunity, I think that I strive to tick that box and strive to do that and not in any artificial way because I think it's important and because I want to. So I hope so. <laughs> well, to your earlier point, you were invited here. So I, <laughs> I, I believe that you are a dream maker and I know that you've had an impact on people that I spend time with and both of us kind of come from non-traditional backgrounds from, from the perspective of tech. And you majored in drama, if I understand correctly. Can you talk a little bit about how that influenced your career trajectory? Yeah, it was a slightly accidental path because I was I was going to major in something else. And I didn't like it. And uh, this was my minor, but I, I loved it and I had a great time. I think, you know, it influenced me because I was incredibly happy. It enabled me to be very, very creative, uh, not just in performance and directing, but also in, in art, in set design and, and, and production design as well, which I absolutely loved. And, and I think that anything that I do, I turn into a drama. So there's one thing. <laughs> but no, I just say... I think in terms of telling stories, you know, even a piece of research, I turn into four acts and it's like all live and it's, it's dramatic and, and, and there's, there's storytelling and, and there's, you know, crescendo and all of that. And I think that that's great. And maybe it goes back to that, you know, my, my brother is in the profession and so it's, I, I've always grown up with it, but I went on to do my master's in marketing and I like to think a lot of who I was and who I became during that drama degree um, really helped me um, to really foster creativity and storytelling in everything that I do. I think storytelling is such an important part of our profession and our industry, especially today with all the creativity that we're kind of relying on to build the best digital experiences in the market. And I think that's incredible. I know you also had a very short stint as a DJ. I did as well. So I'm curious about your story there and I'll tell you a little bit about mine. Uh, well, I did student radio and I loved it. And then I was sat in the office one day in my first job and um, someone said, oh, uh, Janice Long's on the phone for you. And I was like, I beg your pardon. And she was like one of the most amazing DJs on Radio One, which was our biggest radio station in, in, in the UK for many years. And I was like, wow. So she was starting an independent, they, they, they sort of like broadened out licensing and she was starting an independent radio station in Liverpool, which is where I was living and, and invited me to come do a show. It was, um, I think, one of the big producers of like some of the biggest bands in the 90s was on one side of my set. And then on the other side, I should say self show. And the other side was Clint Boone, who was like the lead singer in the Inspiral Carpets, which was just like this massive band. So anyway, and then there was me with my little radio show and uh, myself and um, the woman that I used to present with. We did it and we had so much fun. 
It sounds like a lot of fun. And it's always going back to your point of kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone or just trying things that are new and and all of these experiences add on to who you are as a person and build up that confidence. And I kind of fell into it a little bit on mistake. It started off as something I was giving to a friend for his birthday. He was flying back actually from the UK to San Francisco. And the day he landed, I picked him up and I, I drove him to the surprise, which was getting some lessons on how to spin. And later that night, the two of us spun at a, at a club in San Francisco. We did it a few more times after that and really enjoyed it. But we, of course, had day jobs and got back to reality pretty fast. But it was so much fun. And, and it is like just an exhilarating thing to do kind of that pushes you outside of your skin and makes you do something that's different. And then really you hold on to that and it's something you can keep forever. Yeah. Let's have one more sip of wine and revisit and then we'll go into rapid fire. It's been sitting here now for a few minutes. What I find is as wine warms up a little bit, especially white wine warms up a little in the glass, you get a little bit more of the oakiness. It it stands out more. This one now I'm getting more vanilla than I did when it was a bit more chilled. Yeah. But um, still really nice and it has a nice finish. It doesn't fall flat. It's kind of got the oakiness that's not overly overpowering, but it's, it's got like a really nice vanilla tone to it. Okay. So rapid fire, this is one of my favorite parts of dream makers. I'm going to start with my favorite question, which is what is your wake up song? My wake up song. I'm going to say most of my wake up now is our, is our young child that we have in the house. So, um, I will go back to his song, which is how deep is your love? Fiji's is kind of the one that really is in my world a lot at the moment. That's a really good one. If the 19-year-old version of you asked you today what they should do or what they should read, what they should listen to, what recommendations would you have? So I'm not the best, not the best reader, but I would say my first one, I've got a couple, but my first one is because my 19-year-old self did have that and it stayed with me as the Mayor Angelo autobiography. I know why the cage bird sings was something that I actually, when I was 19, I fell in love with and, and, and has stayed with me ever since. So have that in your heart always. Pivot, listen to. Pivot is my go-to business. And I think having a fun way to engage with business content regularly is really good. So finding actually which which in the business area, in, in the business podcast works for you, really, really important. And then probably the book is Stephen Emma, 10 Billion, a little book that talks about actually the world with 10 billion people in it and our impact on the planet something that sort of I read a number of years ago and stayed with me and probably something that I think is really important for all of us to always have in our mind the impact of our behaviors on our on our wonderful planet and our responsibility to the planet and that sort of like is is in the fabric of how I walk around and and think about things Mm -hmm. and I think that's so important for all of us so you know having that bigger view as we sort of like go about our daily success and struggles I think is really important. Those are great recommendations thank you. Is there a wine you might recommend? Because we're just leaving the sort of the pink season. So I love most rosé champagnes and a particular one that's my favourite that we sort of discovered in Paris and I'm having it for my birthday next week is a Verve Fournay and Phil. It's mm-hmm. a rosé Premier Cru, terrible pronunciation, slightly down from the really big premium rosé uh, champagnes on the market, but um, something that I, being true to myself, something I really do love and drink. That sounds lovely. And I hope you do get to enjoy it on your birthday. And the final question, what should our listeners do tomorrow to help them become dream makers? 
I would say go do something different. And I don't mean go leave your job. I mean, go stretch yourself and go join a community, go, go do part of something that's going to sort of just extend your journey a little bit and make you think, huh, I did that today. Go do something, go be part of a community, go do something a little bit different. Great advice. Thank you, Nat. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. And I hope you have a great birthday next week. We'll be thinking about you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Dreammakers podcast. You can reach out to me, Neha Sampat, on Twitter at NehaSF, that's N-E-H-A-S-F, with your comments, suggestions, your favorite wake-up song, wine, or Dreammaker Woman to know. Please also leave a review and subscribe to Dreammakers wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, keep dreaming big, building up, and being a good human.